Red with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 11, I don't want to be poor. No, seriously, I want to be a rich bitch. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of In My Head with your girl, Jay Fless. Yes, episode 11, bitch! (laughs) I am so, so happy that you guys have been joining me on this journey and um, we've been touching a lot of lives we've been impacting a lot of people and i'm so very grateful that you've been sharing these episodes with friends and family and also listening and taking stock of a lot of things i've been saying today however we have a special guest in studio and i want to give you a little bit of intro on who they are Migdalia Morales is a financial advisor, investment advisor representative. Her career in financial services is built on lifelong relationships with individuals based on trust and value. Over 20 years, Meg, as she's affectionately known, has worked at some of the largest financial organizations in the U.S. and has international exposure as well. She spent 12 years in the nonprofit group segments that included schools, churches, hospitals, and government entities on their pension plans and salary deferral programs. Meg is passionate about empowering and educating individuals to take control of their financial situation. An avid believer in a holistic approach while offering protection, tax efficiency, and investments based on individual goals. Meg believes no two situations are alike, nor two lives the same, so there is no one-size-fits-all solution. Each strategy is customized and personalized for each individual and their stated goal. Meg has a BA in business and speaks fluent Spanish. She is F-I-N-R-A licensed in her resident state of New York, as well as across the United States. In my head, fam, Jay Burns, help me welcome to In My Head, episode number 11, Meg. <laughs> Hi, Meg. Hello, how are you? I love that voice. She's so, so, oh, thank so you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, talk about a, a, a brief bio. 
Yeah. 20 years in the business or a little bit more? A little bit more. It's actually closer to 30 at this point. Wow. But I keep telling everyone I'm 31 and a half. So it's a special <laughs> map that I came up with in order to <laughs> let people know that I have that level of experience, but still young enough to take care of them. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Meg, we had the pleasure of meeting recently at a panel which we both spoke on. Mm -hmm. So I want to send my love out to Ali Alicia Eiffel, who made this connection. Ali, I love you. She had her Let's Talk About Part 2 uh, Intimate Women's Discussion recently, and you were there, and that's how we made the connection. And I'm so, so thrilled that you were able to stop by the studio today. Oh, how thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. What's going on in Meg's head? What's what's going on in your head? Trying to keep my hair under control in this crazy rain and weather and humidity. That's my biggest, you know. <laughs> but your hair smells today. good, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Meg shampooed her hair and walked outside feeling good and looking cute today. Meg, the episode is called I Don't Want to Be Poor. Okay. You You are the absolutely best person to talk about in terms of financial security for your future. But before we go there, I want to know more about who Meg is as a person. Okay. So, Meg, tell me a little bit about your family background. Where are you from? Where's your family from? So, I am your typical Latina, born and raised right here in Brooklyn. Yay. Um, I am Puerto Rican by culture, by ethnicity. And um, one of the things that I grew up with, which is why I became so passionate in becoming a financial advisor, is because I come from a family where we never talked about finances at the dining room table. You know, my mother was a CPA. You figured that would have been logical, but it wasn't. We also were a kind of a poor family. So, you know, a lot of us believe that life insurance wasn't really an important thing to have. It was always, oh, let them worry about it when I'm not here. Um, and so what we suffered with as a family is always having to not only suffer the loss of the individual who has passed on, but now we have to beg and figure out how to come up with the money in order to put them in a funeral home or put them you know, to uh, lay to rest at a cemetery. It was just, it was just a very uncomfortable situation all around. And, you know, to go through the emotional anguish of losing someone and then adding to that the financial burden that comes along with it, I just took on this whole thing that is like, okay, we've got to do better as a people. As a family, we've got to do better. You know, we're all family-oriented. We love our family, our mothers, our fathers. We don't ever expect the worst, but we have to be prepared for the worst, which is what drives my passion in helping my community, my women, my Caribbean women. I love them all. Yay! Puerto <laughs> Rico is in the building. So this is exactly what we're doing. We're bringing the kitchen table conversation to the podcast, right? Uh, we're bringing the pillow talk conversation to the podcast. You made a very, very interesting point. Your mom was a CPA, mm -hmm. but she never really talked about finances. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the era my mother was born and raised in, right? So she died when she was 77, which means that at the height of her life, it was the Great Depression. Um, and at that time, what was happening is that I think the generation as a whole didn't trust the banks at that time. You know, it was always they lost their money. They would rather put it, you know, underneath their sheets and in between the bed mattress. or the mattress, right, mm -hmm. the pillows or even the freezer, wherever they felt it was 
most safe. And I think that generation, because of what they suffered with economically, they had to find a way to try to still grow and maintain while still trying to save for their future. So it became a community of being silent, right? Don't tell, don't share, because if you do, someone's going to ask you for it. Mm. So it was like, why am I going to tell someone that I have this because they're only going to take it away from me later, mm -hmm. right? And then I really won't have it. Right. So I think it became a generation of self-preservation and survival. And it's funny that you say that because that doesn't only apply to finances. I've been talking about, you know, how our older generation have been silent on a lot of issues that now our generation are trying to peel back the layers and rectify a lot of those wrongs mm -hmm. and be more vocal so that we can help our children to overcome a lot of these things, right? So thank you for saying that. And that was a really valid point that a lot of people don't talk about finances. Even to this day, they don't want to talk to their coworkers about how much money they're making. But if we had this discussion, then I would know that as a black woman, at the same role as my white counterpart, that I'm making dramatically less for the same position. But Correct. we don't want to have these conversations. Why do you think people don't want to talk about salaries and stuff? I think it has a lot to do with an ego, um, right? There's nothing more traumatic than learning that someone that you might have a degree over or more experience over is making more money than you, doing the exact same job. That's really hurtful, right? And if you think about the common person who works for an employer, they really do give a lot of themselves, right? The blood, sweat, and tears are there early, working late. They got to continuous, continuously prove their worth, their value. And then to turn around and have that conversation about salary to find out that someone who takes off a lot or is late every day, you look at them and it's like, well, how can they possibly make more money than me when I'm giving so much? And it's just a hurtful thing to have to come to a realization to. But I think part of um, what can help is accepting, and I, I use that word gently, that it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It really should be your own self-preservation. So it doesn't matter where you're starting from. As long as you take the first step to try to take control, that is the most important step. Have you ever been in that type of situation? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What did you do? In my early, 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 early in my career, I found out for um, myself as just a, a regular human being that I'm not really an employee. I don't really like working for someone, being evaluated by someone, um, someone who I always thought was, you know, the only way she looks good is because I'm making her look good. Right. Um, so very early on, like in my 22, 23 years of age. Remember, I'm 31. Um, <laughs> um, early on, I knew that I just, the, the corporate thing just wasn't for me. Being an employee wasn't my thing. I really marched to my own beat. Um, I understand the, the economics of money, right? My degree is in economics, so it's kind of easy for me to make that assimilation into taking care of myself financially. Um, and from that very early stage, I've always seen and have witnessed and experienced that disparity that exists between, um, you know, a Latina like me mm -hmm. and someone who's not Latina, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Whole I, thing a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just kind of knew very early on that unless I do my own and build my own, I will always be that subservient. Right. And I didn't want to spend my entire life and career being that subservient and because when that I, way yeah because because you know you like i said you give so much to yourself right think about it you wake up at seven in the morning you've got to deal with a commute you don't want to deal with you've got to get the kids ready to go to school oh one of them is sick oh my god what am i going to do now now you got to go work with these people who you feel treat you like 
you're subservient. Treat right? you like shit. Yeah. Well, I can't say that. But you, you can, know. but you can. I can say you it can for say you. It. Okay. So, right, so now you've got to deal with all of that, deal with getting stuff dumped on you on any given day, things that you know are not yours to do, but they give it to you anyway because they can do that. Right. And then you have to turn around and come home and cook and clean and commute and the kids and the homework. and the, It's just a lot to do. So I learned very early on that that was just not my thing. That is not where I'm going to excel. So I focused and put all my energy into where I thought I could excel, which is what brings me here today. Kind of like the career. I love it. So there are a lot of women... We're going to talk to our ladies first because I know you have a heart for women. I do. Um, there are a lot of women right now listening to you but like, she's talking about me. I hate those people at my job, yo, but I got to work because I got to feed these kids. I got to put my kids through college. And so they endure a lot in the workspace and then come home to have to deal with life and still deal with life while they're at work, juggling death and bills and single parenthood or marriage or divorce or everything else and our, our, our ladies, uh, many are not excluded. Um, and then they still are not completely satisfied with life. Things are still not ever done because nothing is ever completely done. And they find themselves stressed and worried about their financial security. You know, like, how am I going to pay for the kid's college? I'm just going through this major law, so I had to take care of this bill, or I just got a lien on my... Like, life happens, right? Life happens. So let's talk about when life happens and how we could be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive. Right. And I think a lot of that is really just education, right? If, if, if you think about the conversation we had, like, a couple of seconds ago, where the generation before us wasn't really sharing their their financial experience with us. We don't know how to live any other way except the way we are taught. Right. Right? So it becomes that entire circle of poverty. And learned behavior. And and learned, absolutely, learned behavior. So it's not like there is someone to blame because the truth is all that's missing there is really education. Right. Right? Because if you don't know that something is broken, you don't know that, that it has to be fixed. So if you start thinking about finances that way, because I think we are so used to just either learning how to survive, trying to survive, doing nothing but survive, then you have the other pocket who's like rather, you know, spend more money on the hair, on the nails, on the this and the that, and that's great, but you never do it to sacrifice at other things. And the other things is really that financial freedom and control that I'm so passionate about. Because we as women, we already get paid less than our male counterparts, right? That's one of the four differentials that we have to suffer with as a woman. So no matter if you have a woman and a man, you know, both with BAs, both with economics, both MBAs, the man is going to always make more money. Actually, they make 30% more than what we do if we come up with the same exact background and education platform and achievements that they have. So we are already starting on the start line behind them right automatically right that's just by gender genetic coding <laughs> it's just is what it is and then you add to that you know being a caribbean latina woman you know we suffer with a little bit more than mm-hmm. other women mm-hmm. um because of you know this world being as so crazy that's 70 as 70 cents a dollar <laughs> went down to 60 cents a dollar pretty, pretty much right yeah. and then you start thinking about um the time that we don't have um whether you're a single mom or a married woman or divorced woman there is not enough time for us to do everything that we need to do 
do, right? We think about the one who is a single mom and the whole running to school after class, after school programs, you know, trying to do the laundry, get to the cleaners, get, you know, get them dressed, get them there. There's a birthday party over here. Don't forget this Holy Communion over there. That It's just everything. There's just never enough time. So we, as women, we, we're just naturally providers. We tend to put ourselves in the back burner and take care of everything else. There just isn't enough time in a day. So I'm using myself as a living sacrifice to let everyone know <laughs> my finances are in the shits. So that's why I, I have Meg here, not only to talk to you guys, but she's actually going to be working with me. And Meg, let's talk about the importance of having a financial advisor in your life. A lot of people think, I only need a financial advisor if I come into a lot of money or if I'm making a lot of money. Right. Let's debunk that. Yeah, let's, let's do that really quickly. Um, because the truth of the matter is that the purpose of a financial advisor is not only just to put you in something because you have money and you want to protect it. It really is if, it, if, you're, if you can't quite make it from one paycheck to the other, which is kind of normal these days. I think it's, it's so normalized, it's, it's kind of upsetting. But if you just can't can't quite make it from one paycheck to the other, you need a financial advisor. This type of training and education that we offer is really, is free. Right. Like, let me help you change the way you think. Because the truth of the matter is that those behaviors are taught. Right. And the only way you actually know you have that behavior is if someone calls it to your attention. Right. right? I'm, I'm what you would call your accountability partner. Right. I'm not emotional about the money. It's your money. I'm not emotional about your situation. That's your situation. But I'm going to tell you, you know what, if you want to go on vacation, that's great. Don't go on vacation next month and put it on a credit card. Why don't we just save a little bit every month right. and go next year? Right. Right? And that way you can do the big splurge and then you'll have this money and you don't have to rely on credit cards and you don't have to do all those things that you, you're so accustomed to doing because those are your habits. Right. Right? So there's just a different way of doing things. And more importantly is finding someone like a financial advisor that not only looks like you but knows you without you having to say that. And what I mean by that is that... You know, we are a community that <laughs> we are kind of limited into the space that we're in. The truth of the matter is that the industry that I'm in is male dominant, period. Um, to see a Latina woman <laughs> in there, it's even yeah. rarer. Wow. Right. So when I come through the door, it's like, wow, she looks like me. Right. She looks just like me. I don't you don't have to explain to me about sending money home, taking care of mom, taking ah. care. Of, right. You don't have to say those things. Wow. I live those things. So you don't have there are certain things you don't have to explain because it's a given without culture that most other financial advisors that are not part of the culture would understand. understand. Yeah, they won't understand it. I love the fact that you said that because I am an immigrant. Mm -hmm. OK, I was not born in this country mm -hmm. and a lot of my listeners are immigrants as well, or first-generation American by West Indian or Caribbean or African or European parents, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so with that comes our, a whole set of different challenges of how we were raised or how we were taught and these learned behaviors when it comes to money. Um, you know, everyone wants to do a, a susu, and um, they think that's the best investment. You know, throwing a partner, throwing a susu. Let's talk about investments. Okay. Um, first of all, before we get to that part, hold on. There are a lot of immigrants listening right now that do not work a conventional nine-to-five type of job. 
Okay, there are a lot of people that I know listening right now that are nannies. Right. Um, they are janitors. They are uh, overnight security. Like, and, and there are a lot of people I know that are working off the books, right? So, you know, they're not paying into Social Security. Uh, they're not. They don't have a pension plan with their job. Some of them don't even have health insurance. So, let's talk about how our immigrant community can become financially stable with the little income they're making that they feel they can't do anything with, yet they're sending money home, they're paying rent in New York City, they're taking care of their kids and send them to college. Like, we could pay into a pension plan or IRA. Like, we could we could do these things. So please help us. Okay. Um, and that is pretty common in our community, right? That's not really so odd and off the wall anymore. I think we have become a society that... We just need to learn how to survive. And if that survival means that we are working four or five hours a day, you know, 20, 30 hours a week off the books, then we're going to do that because we're just trying to make it, right? right? We're just trying to make it. So there is a way. There is this platform that allows you to still be tax deferred where, you know, even if you're not paying on Social Security, that's okay. Um, but there's a way for you to take what little bit you have and that what that little bit that you can put it away every month and have it grow and work for you the same way as everybody else. It'll just be a smaller amount. It may take a little longer to get there. You know, it's a conversation that I would have to have with the individual to see how aggressive they are, how risk perverse they are. You know, we just have to figure out some things about the individual. But there are a lot of ways for individuals working on the books, off the books, otherwise, to really put their money to work for them. Right, because you work hard for it. Let's not just put it, you know, in between the mattress anymore. It's the dollar will always stay a dollar if you put it in between the mattress. Mm -hmm. But a dollar could potentially grow to be more if you take it out from in between the mattress and put it into something. Mm -hmm. And there are things that are not taxable that are available to individuals where the, you don't need to have a job and you don't need to have um, payroll deductions to a 401k or an IRA. You don't need those things. Hmm. And it has a lot to do with the individual. So what I try to do is just to plant the seeds of thought that there's non-conventional ways to um, have your money work for you and grow it. It doesn't necessarily have to be everything that everyone knows, right? Because if you think about how we grew up, right, we were taught... Okay, so you go to school, you get a good job, you contribute to your 401k, and everything is going to be okay. Right. That's not really what it is today, right? right? The truth of the matter is that most 401ks are not, the employer are not contributing to it anymore. Most pensions are going bust mm. because it's just un, un, unrealistic for those pension plans and programs to be maintained. You can see it a lot in the government space, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's... It's just not as lucrative as it used to be in the past. Um, so, you know, you just have to find a way for that individual to um, be able to invest their money that's best for them without sacrificing their current living situation, right? So the conversation is always going to be about, well, how much can you put aside? How much have you already put aside? If we were to put you on a budget, will you be able to stick with it? Let's see what you do in three months. Let's see, you know, let's look at your habits, how whimsical you are, how much you spend, how much you don't. But there's always something that could be done to help the, the individual who's interested in growing their money and whether it's investments or otherwise, is to really say because the truth is, it's a concept that was lost from generation to generation. It was lost. 
Wow. Um, yeah, and we need to teach our kids how to save, but how can we teach them if we don't know how to, right? Correct. And that's the biggest problem that we have today, right? You can't really pass something on that you don't know about. Right. I, I can't think teach about you something that. I don't know. You don't know. Right. And this is why you need a financial advisor. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, and it's okay. Like I tell people all the time, we talk about therapy and having a therapist. Listen, your financial advisor is a therapist for your money. Yes. Okay? They're, they are your therapist <laughs> for your money. And some of y'all need a psychologist. <laughs> you don't need a licensed therapist. You need an actual doctor who can prescribe you some medication for your finances. And this is where Meg comes in. <laughs> Meg, I have a slew of questions for okay. you. And it might be all over the place, but just bear with me a bit. Uh, let's talk about term life and whole life insurance and okay. what that means. Sure. So they are, I think that's a misconception about the types of insurance that exist out in the world. I think everyone thinks it's only term and whole, but there's so much more. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm going to take a step back and instead of going with term and life, term and whole, I'm going to step back and say there are two types of life insurance that exist in the world. In the world. Every insurance company only has two types. One of them is called temporary which goes for a certain amount of period, which is why the word term is in there. And then there are permanent ones. Those are the ones that stay with you for life. So under term, the temporary ones, pretty much what everyone thinks it is. It's, it's cheap. Um, it's good for uh, those that have mortgages or no kids, um, and they're just trying to cover their debt um, because it's cheap. You don't, it, there's no, it doesn't create any cash value. It's just, it's kind of like renting an apartment versus owning an apartment, right? So as long as you pay your rent, <laughs> right, you can live in that place for those 30 days. Same concept with the term. As long as you pay your monthly premium every month, you will have that coverage for whatever amount of period. And it could be 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30. It, it can go forever, right? So that's term. That's one of the two types that exist. Then there's the permanent side. And this is where I think there's a misconception of what exists. There are three different types of permanent policies that exist. One of them is which everyone knows, which is whole life. Now, the whole life policy is great. They're a little bit expensive because that type of policy actually has you investing in that particular life insurance company, similar to any other stock, right? So if you think about the stock prices of an insurance company that's public, I'm not going to name anyone in particular. I'm just going to keep it very generic. So whatever whole life company you use, just think about you buying a stock in that company, which is why a lot of the statements that you receive probably has a partial of a unit, right? Because if you're only paying $40, $50 a month for your whole life policy and it costs $80 for a stock option, you only have 50% of one unit. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense to everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep it really basic. So the whole life policies are generally more expensive. But there are two other ones that a lot of people don't know about. One of them is called index funds, right? A universal type um, life insurance policy that invests in interest rates. Hmm. And it's great because it's a little conservative, right? You think about all the work that's happening in corporate bonds or stock bonds, and, and you think about all the work that is being, um, that's being done on the roads. It could be a government bond. It could be just about any type of bond. It grows, and it grows secure. The best part about that type of policy is that your money and your growth is separate from the insurance company. Hmm. So whatever money you make 
is the money you make. It's not shared amongst all of the stockholders of an insurance company like the whole life is. Got it. So the last one that a lot of people don't know of, and it's one of my favorites, which is why I have my securities broker's license, is because it has the same concept of a universal life. It's called variable universal life. And what that strategy is an investment is really taking your money and putting it into the mutual fund market, you know, putting out into the stock market. So when you think about S&P and Dow Jones and all that fun stuff, right. your money actually grows based on whatever you put into it. Got it. So it always maintains its separate growth. So under a verbal universal life, you actually have like two accounts going on. You've wow. got the life insurance for covering your life in case something were to happen, plus whatever that. growth comes in through the investment side. Right. I actually did not know that. Mm -hmm. So thank you. <laughs> this is why we have you here, so you can teach us some new things. And I'm not ashamed to say I actually did not know that. A lot of people don't. In my head. We talked about life insurance. Um, and most people feel that if they don't have kids, they don't need it. That's why you just said, you know, term and whole life. Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people with children that mm -hmm. just think they, as the parent, they're the only ones that need insurance. What about their kids? Yeah, so that's another big misconception, but I think that's generational as well. It just wasn't passed down correctly. Um, one of the best things about a life insurance policy, regardless of the strategy that is being used to grow the money, like on the permanent side, right? The whole life, universal life, and verbal universal life, the three different methods of growing the money in the, in the life insurance policy, is that whatever you do with that money is whatever you do with that money. And it's not taxed. And I say that gently because on the whole life side, it may be taxed because of the stock option right. purchase and all that stuff. Um, but on the other ones, one of the best things about having any type of life insurance policy with an investment piece in it is that it is completely tax-free. And I want you to think about that for a moment because the money that you're going to get or you're going to pull or you're going to need is not considered income on a life insurance policy. Right. So Uncle Sam and the IRS and the government and all those people that we try to run and hide away from <laughs> are not going to be standing at your door tapping your shoulder saying, okay, well, you have $30,000. I want my one third of that. And I want it before you actually give you the check. Right? Because th these are what, what, what you would call one-time life events. Right? right? So if you're pulling money, let's say you have a life insurance policy for you and you didn't have one for your kid, right? Because we, we were really talking about mothers and, you know, people with kids. And you don't have one for the kid. I recommend that you do. Start off young. Minute from birth, let's go. Right. But if you don't and you only have one for you, then the same concept works as far as you pulling money from that account provided it's a variable universal life because the piece that's growing is the investment side of the piece. Got and it. we don't care what you use the money for, is that you put it away for us to grow and invest it for you. And hence the reason why you should get life insurance for your children from birth so it can grow with them. Absolutely. So one of the best things about that is that you are actually saving for their college on an insurance, a life insurance policy. Think Tax about free. that for a moment. <laughs> Tax free. So, okay. So there are a couple of things that could happen, right? Um, with children, they could grow up and 
One might go in the direction of being a drummer in a band at the local coffee shop. Not, you know, school's not really their thing, <laughs> right? It can happen, mm -hmm. but you still want to be able to give them something, right? Now, maybe their purpose is more um, paying their rent for the year or, you know, <laughs> making sure they can live and not be hungry, right. right? With a life insurance policy, you can do that. Or you have the exact opposite on the other side of the speculum, which is the person, the, the child who grows up and is so intelligent and is getting getting scholarships and all this fun stuff and it's fun stuff. So over the years, they're just growing this money, saving this money. And when they finally need it, you find out they don't need it. That money is still there. If they want to get married, buy a house, they could actually pull the money from that life insurance that you've been, you know, saving for and investing for them their entire life. And now you get to do whatever you want to do with it. I think this is so important that we share this information because for a lot of us, our parents really didn't save anything for us. Nope. And when they died, they left us with debt. Yep, bills. They left us with their funeral arrangements and mm -hmm. costs. Mm -hmm. They left us with debt. And so for a lot of people, they don't have that whole inheritance, you know, um, luxury or privilege. Um, there are some people in the Caribbean that actually had parents and grandparents that thought well in, into the future to plan so they're leaving them assets, they're leaving them homes, they had life insurance, but for the majority of us, our parents and grandparents were not thinking like that and they were just making it by, right? Correct. And so I'm so grateful that you're here, Meg, because you can start today yes. to make healthier, better choices with your money for yourself and for your children. Correct. That's what we're talking about today. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, Meg, mm-hmm, you giving somebody the life right now. <laughs> G is, like, shaking his head, like, yeah. <laughs> All of Meg's information will be in this episode summary, so if you want to get in contact with her, you can just check that out in the summary of this episode. Meg, uh, let's talk about estate planning, because I just talked about a lot of our families did not plan generational wealth. Right. So let's talk about estate planning. Right now, I'm working check to check um, off the books. I'm not saying me. I'm saying this is a particular situation. Mm -hmm. Off the books, immigrant, two kids here, family back home, supporting my other child back home because they can't come here because I have my papers, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I, I still got to pay rent in New York, and I still got to look like I'm making shit happen in New York. Okay? This is all, this is all that the all illusion real. of, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, how do I plan for my future? How do I estate plan in my present situation? What can you tell me right now to shake me up out of my ignorance of not taking care of future? Okay, so I'll give you this statement. If this doesn't move you, nothing will. If you want to just give it away to the government for free, don't do an estate plan. Wow. All those years of working and collecting and gathering, good, bad, or indifferent, little bit, lot, house here, home there, if you just want to give it away to the government, give it away to the government, don't do an estate plan, let the children fight it out, let them figure it out how to work it out, don't make it easy for them. Wow. But that doesn't quite make sense, does it, right? You work 30, 40, 50, 60 years 
you're sending money back, you have that home over there, now the kids, you know, you got one kid over there, two kids over here, now they're bickering over who does what, who gets what, who gets more, I'm the older one, I should get more, I'm, I'm the one who took care of mom, I should get more. It becomes a very emotional right. situation. And, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to money, and I think it has a lot to do with that whole circle of poverty that, you know, I mentioned earlier, is that sometimes families get broken when the demise of the breadwinner happens and it becomes a free-for-all, no order, no structure. But think about an estate as the voice from the grave. Mm -hmm. I say this goes to this one, this amount goes to that one, I want the life insurance only to go to here, the home in Trinidad goes to that son over there because he's there, the ones here in New York stay in New York and you get this. Right. It's your own voice from the grave and there is no one who can contest that once you put it down in legal writing. Right. No one. Right. The government can't take it. Um, an aunt from your father's side who felt that they raised you can't come in and, you know, Claim. try to take it. You right. know, it's, it's just your voice from the grave. So I want you to think about estate planning as just being that. Right. It's these are your final wishes. This is what you want to see happen. I don't care what you say. If you have a boyfriend who's been with you for 20 years and feels like he's entitled, it's like, well, you're not. You know, you weren't you only here like 20 years. Or, you know? or, or you're legally married to someone and never got a divorce. That is a big issue. That is huge. I always encourage people, if you're already not living together... Get a divorce. Get the divorce. Just go ahead and separate. Because, because they're going to come back and take, claim it. And, he, and believe it or kin. not, the spouse has 100% right because you're legally married. Yep. Remember, this is not emotional. This is money. Money has to be non-emotional. The law is non-emotional. Right. By law... If you're married, and you could be separated for, for 20, years. 30 right. years, as long as you never went through the exercise of getting that divorce, that spouse could actually raise their hand and say, I'm right here. This is mine. And there is nothing anyone could do because by law, your spouse has 100% right to your entire estate. I hope y'all people who get married for certain reasons yeah. just listen to <laughs> I'm y'all taking heed. <laughs> you might want one thing and then end up losing a whole lot. Okay, so living will, uh, let's talk about that. Yes, okay, so living will is also a great thing to have, right? Because if you think about if something were to happen to you where you're not quite fully demised, but you're catatonic, right? Mm -hmm. You can't really uh, speak for yourself. This document is called um, a living will. And what it does is that it speaks for you when you can't speak for yourself, right? So what you basically do is identify that person or persons, you can go as many as you want, that are going to make health decisions for you based on what you are and what you want. So, right, if you think about someone who maybe gets hit by a car, um, didn't really die, but, you know, is in a coma. Um, if you're the type of person that didn't want to be resuscitated, you've got to let someone know. And you've yeah. got to have that proxy right. that you identify to say, well, I know Jay. Jay is not going to want to, you know, stay hooked up on machines her whole life. That's not her. She was too lively, too bubbly. Just let her go. Right? The only way that can be done is if you have this living will. And probably more important is who is that person going to be? A lot of people think that because they are married that their spouse automatically 
has that position. They only have that position if you don't have a living will. Correct. So, and then they have to go through courts, they have to be assigned, they have to be titled, then they can move. Because you could be married to someone you don't like, and you know they just want to kill you off anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the reason you're there in the first place. I've seen some really sticky situations, um, wow. you know, come out of that, you know, in, in more ways than one. It's just it's just so important to have all these things in place for you, um, because now, you know, if you lived your whole life controlling it your way, why not finish it your way? Right. Right. I love that point. I love that point. You it's you're never it's never too late as long as you're still here in the land of the living. You can make conscious decisions today to have a profound positive impact on your future or your children's future. Meg is here sharing some gems with us. If you do not have a living will, you might want to consider, even, even if you have to write down something today and just go have it notarized in the meantime, yeah, like just you want to do that right now. If you know that you're ailing, you're sick, this is really, yeah, you should definitely have a will, yes. um, especially when you have assets and you have family members and you're married. Um, you want to make sure that's known, especially if you have a family that, that is contentious. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a great word because I'm going to tell you, I have a story that just popped into my head Tell real me quick. about it. So um, I had this uh, 78-year-old woman. Um, she had 12 kids. You know, they're all grown, you know, and each one of them has their own family. Right. Um, but she knew that there was a lot of bickering amongst her direct 12 kids. Right. So what she did, God bless her soul, but it still acted out, but... This is a personal story. This is like literally my aunt. I want okay? to hear it. This, this is, is great. My, this is my aunt. I'm not immune to situations any more than anyone else is. Right. Okay? So I'm really sharing a personal story with you. This is my aunt. Thank you. Um, she had 12 kids, my mother's oldest sister. Mm -hmm. um, and she, there was always bickering amongst the kids. You know, I'm better than this. I'm prettier than this. It's, I don't know if it was a Latino thing or not. I don't know. But it was just oh, a Caribbean. lot of bickering. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bickering. So um, what she did is that she found a local funeral parlor in her area, right here in Bushwick in Brooklyn, which is where I'm from, born yep. and raised, born Bushwick. and bred. Woo, Bushwick. <laughs> um, and she went every month, every time she got her little Social Security check, and dropped in $50, sometimes $75, and paid for her own yeah. one-day viewing, casket, and burial over 10 years. Wow! Because what happened, because she didn't want to put one child over the other because it was already bickering, that she was afraid that there'd be more animosity amongst the kids. So she did all this by herself. Wow. And the, the way we found out that she even passed on was the funeral director called the family, called each one of the 12 kids. Wow. Not even a friend, not even a doctor, not... Mm -mm, mm -mm. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. So she did this all by herself. So she did the one day, you know, like four or five hours, then off to the cemetery um, to be with her husband because her husband was already there. But the shocking thing was probably more at the cemetery, how everyone claimed how much love they had for her, but yet she chose not one of them to wow. do her final expenses. She did it herself. Wow. Think about that. Think about wow. the power she, she maintained throughout not only her life, but even from the grave. Wow. That is power. Wow. That's like the ultimate slap in the face. Like <laughs> it is. Well, you know, some families are like that. 
Like, y'all wasn't stressing about me when I was here. Don't even do it now. Like, you know, I'm going to take care of my own stuff. <laughs> it took her 10 years. But you know what? That's that's a really great point to bring up um, because we're in the age of crowdfunding mm-hmm. and um, the age of... GoFundMe, right? The GoFundMe page. Yep. That's a big problem because we always say that GoFundMe is not a life insurance policy. It definitely is not. It definitely is not. And if you have the power right now to even put some money aside to buy your lot if you want to be married or put money aside to be cremated or actually in your will say, I want, this is your last wishes. I want to be cremated. You have to let these wishes be known and make sure it's a legal document. You know, there's some people that do not want to be resuscitated. And there's some people like... They want to stay here down to my last breath. I'm going to be here. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, there are. But, but you have to make that known. And I so appreciate you for sharing that um, family story. Damn, go, Grandma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happened after? Well, at the funeral, there was at the wake, what you would call the wake for the four or five hours, there was... Um, you know, it, it did. It, it turned out to be exactly what she expected it to be. She knew her kids. Wow. Um, there was, you know... You know, once alcohol gets introduced, things just go into a whole nother level. So one of them came and brought a brown bottle, and before you know it, you know, tempers were a little higher. It turned out to be a fight. Cops called in. You know, the typical... It was wepa, right? It was one of of those things. I hate to admit it, but like I said, I'm not immune to those type of situations. I come from it. I know it. So, you know, it's just... Exactly what she expected is what turned out to be. And then once everything was over, everyone kind of just went back to their own corners. She left exactly what she wanted to leave. She she had a lawyer saying, you get 1,000 here, you get 500. Like, she literally did it all by herself, all by herself. You have the power to make that change right now in your life, especially if you have children, whether they're young or older, especially if you have assets. You are single, but you have a lot of assets. Like Meg said, do you just want to give it to the government for free, or do you want to like donate your property to an organization, to a nonprofit organization? Because you have properties, and you know they could use it for an orphanage. They can use it for an after-school program. You have that power to decide what you want to do with your assets. And today, if you do not have a will, or a living will, or any kind of estate planning, come on, call Meg. Her information <laughs> is in the bio. She's absolutely amazing, and she's doing this for free. She's going to come and sit with you. She's absolutely amazing. Just make sure you give her a great lunch, because, um, <laughs> listen. <laughs> every- I like salad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a good salad for you today, Meg. <laughs> um, I have... Um, there's something that's on my mind, especially for a lot of us, that came out of poverty and come into some semblance of wealth. There's no scarier feeling than um, getting to a place of financial stability and the fear of losing it all. And so this is where you as uh, a financial advisor, even though you say there's no emotion in money, this is where you also come in as a therapist. Correct. Because... It's a very scary place to be, to come from nothing, build something, and either you hoard it or you just... uh, How can we overcome that? How can we overcome that there? Um, I try to teach those that fall into that bucket that you don't have to get rid of the whole thing. Take a piece of it. You know, what amount would make you comfortable? So you can kind of dip your toe into the water so that you can still see and control 
because that is really just about control, and that's okay. But if you can identify a number that you're comfortable with releasing, it doesn't have to be big, 250, 300, 500, 100, whatever, whatever the amount. Because if this is your first time of releasing and like investing and afraid and have that fear of losing it, there are things that we can put you in that can help protect that losing feeling. Yeah. But more importantly, you get to control the amount that you release so that you can watch it grow and still do what you normally do. You don't have to, you know, take 100% or 50% of whatever you have. Try a little bit. Let's see how it works for you. Let's see how you handle emotionally that release of that monthly money to see if it's something that you enjoy doing. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We'll find something else. The point is that you will never lose. You will always have control. You just have control in a different way. Right. And it goes back to trained behavior. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have learned behavior. And because we've learned it, we believe it's the right thing to do. And you're stuck in learned behavior and afraid to try a new behavioral pattern. Or even knowing that the new behavior is actually healthier, but you're just so stuck in your old ways. Today is a new day to try something new. But you have to put it into practice. You can't just do it once and get frustrated. You have to train yourself in new behavioral patterns, especially when it comes to your finances. So if we can allocate money over the summer to buy a bottle at every party, that's about one fifty. Okay. That's about $600 for the month if you buy a, a, a bottle every goddamn weekend. And we're not even talking about money you pay for the tickets or money you pay to do your hair, your nails, or your outfit, or your clothes for every goddamn party. And I'm also talking to myself, too. Listen, I take my own medicine, all right? If we can do that, then surely we can allocate two of those bottles a month three of those bottles a month. How about you go Dutch in a bottle? Why is it? First of all, y'all know how I feel about five dudes on one bottle, but I'm only going to let five dudes drink from one bottle if they got mortgages. <laughs> only if they're planning for some major life shit. Like, yo, yo, you know I got five kids and I'm paying child support and I'm taking care of my babies. Let's just, and I want to have fun, but I'm going to put $40 on the bottle because that's all I'm going to do. I respect it. I respect it. I totally respect it. We need to reevaluate what's important and our priorities. And Meg is here teaching us some life skills. And again, not because you are an undocumented immigrant means that you cannot save for your future. And Meg, you're very, very vocal about that, especially since you have Caribbean heritage, your family's from Puerto Rico, and you know this. You've seen it in your life. Um, Meg's information, again, is in the summary. Meg, I want to know before you, we're wrapping up, closing thoughts, um, if you can give advice, any kind of advice right now, something that's weighing on your heart, something that weighs on your mind constantly when it comes to our people and money, what would it be? You know, I think looking at my thir almost 30-year career span... You're I can, only 31. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I learned this in vitro. Um, infertile, whatever that word is, when, when mommy's pregnant. Um, I think one of the things that should really be crucial to, for any individual to know is that when you work with a financial advisor, there's security. 
Yeah. Right. There's always the fear that I'm going to tell her my business is going to go tell someone else. No, that's not the way it works. We are bound to maintain your privacy no matter what it is. Right. We are bound to do what's best for you no matter what it is. We may object to the way you think. We're going to try to educate you and teach you and hold your hand. But one of the most important things that I think should be communicated is that you are no, once you have a financial advisor, you are no longer going through those life challenges alone. Right. You're not. I'm going to be, if it's me, I'm going to be standing right there listening to you. Hey, Meg, you got a minute. I want to talk to you. I just lost this job, but I got this job off. I don't know if I should go. It's like, talk to me. Right. Just talk to me because any decision, any activity that you have has a direct impact from your finances, right? Think about that for a moment. You get laid off. What's the first thing you normally do? Go for your 401k. Well, you may not want to do that. Or maybe do a piece of it. Don't take all of it because it's only going to last you but so long. So you are no longer going through life challenges anymore by yourself. And it's someone that you can, you've got to be able to trust them, rely on their advice and kind of you know, be able to have a conversation about how you're feeling so that we can kind of come back to you and say, okay, well, if you're feeling like that, maybe you should think about this. And, and that's part of the whole relationship. When, one of the things that you read in my bio is that I do build it on lifelong relationships. This trust isn't developed overnight. Right. It takes time. You know, there's fear. There's, there's, you know, uncertainty, confusion. I would also advise if you decide to bring Meg into your life and you have children that you have your children involved in those conversations. Yes. I think it's important and imperative that you don't exclude your children from this process of learning new behaviors. Sure, you want to teach them, but have them sit at the dinner table when Meg is over talking about finances so they can hear it, so they can ask questions, so she can even teach them how to start saving their little money from now. Get your kids involved. Meg, also... There are a lot of people who are self-employed. Yeah. Um, they have the benefit of going down two different roads. Not only can they take care of themselves individually, but if the business is where the most excelling is happening and they're looking for tax efficiency, we can go down that road. So they have two. They are actually small business owners, self-employed, consultants, the ones that generate 1099s. Those are the ones that I love because you get to do it one of two ways. Wow. So, or, or you can do both. Wow. How much tax efficiency are we really looking to come down? Do you want to rather write a check to the government for $3,000 because you didn't pay your taxes? Or would you let me allow you to um, show you how to drop that, put it in an IRA, and don't pay the government anything? Listen, listen! Yes, <laughs> I mean, what would you prefer? In my head just got lit. Now, I'm, <laughs> I get so excited. I don't have to pay the government anything. <laughs> Think about that That's for like a moment. That's like music to my ears right now. <laughs> Everyone dreads tax season for that reason. Oh, how much can I pay? Well, I'm going to do zero so that I don't have to pay more, right? So if you think about that whole self-reporting concept that we live under, because that's what taxes is. That's what filing taxes is. It's a self-reporting mechanism, right? Because right? the truth is the government doesn't know what you're making because the only way they know is when, when you, you report, report it. it, right? So if you go through a whole year and you're not paying enough or not doing enough or, or you're self-employed and you have to report your own gross income at the end of the year, mm -hmm. well, let's not pay the government. Let's pay you. Drop your money. It's called AGI, adjusted gross income. Drop it from 10 grand to 8 grand. Now you're, you're going to be taxed on 8 grand, but you're putting some money over here on the, on the left-hand side for yourself. So instead of paying 
on 10 grand, you're going to pay on 8 grand, which is going to be less than what you have to write. Listen, Meg is schooling y'all, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Meg is going to be our new best friend, and I'm definitely going to have you come back. I think this is a conversation we need to constantly be having. And so what I'm going to do is Meg is now my new best friend. <laughs> So we're probably going to have an update, let's say, in the next six months, have Meg come back, and then I can give you guys my story uh, and what Meg has been able to help me accomplish. So give me about six months. 2020, I'll be back. Meg's going to be here. It's, listen, the time is flying. Meg, is. is there anyone you want to shout out real quick before you go? Well, Allie for sure, because I think she was the one who made that connection. Yes. Let, let's talk <laughs> about it. That was just one of the best um, Caribbean women platforms that I Yay, participated Allie. in. Yeah, she, she's awesome. You, of course, you Thank know, you. you you came in with such a light. I was like, you seen, I was drawn to you. I, I stayed you. right there next to you. It wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> um, and just, you know, just everyone who's within my listening voice, just take control. The first step is the hardest. But once you get past that first contact, you're going to see that it's a lot easier than what you thought it could be. I appreciate you, Meg. You have the power to change the direction of your life today, starting with your finances. We can do it. Let's do it. Hit Meg up. Her info's in the bio. This is In My Head. If you have a question that you would like me to answer right here on In My Head, send me an email at info at jblessed, I-N-F-O at J-A-Y-B-L-E-S-S-E-D.com and put head with JV in the title and I'll read your question right here on air and uh, give you my response. Don't forget, email info at jbless.com. Thank you guys so very much. Special thank you to Meg uh, for coming into the studio today. You have gotten a wealth of information. Please make sure to share this podcast with someone that you know it will be beneficial to, someone that needs to hear about how they can change their financial outlook on life and how they can take stock of their future. Today, Meg dropped some really, really great gems. So what's play in my head? Well, we talk about a whole bunch of financial stuff. So shout out to all my independent ladies that are making their own money, paying for school, taking care of the kids. This was a classic tune. Big up all my West Indian women. Roll it down by the legendary soccer queen, Allison Hines. It's one of my favorite tunes. Definitely an inspirational song to get you up and pumping. You can do it, my girl. You can definitely take control of your finances. Roll it down by Allison Hines. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of In My